healthy boundaries can sometimes go too far. You can build up walls too tightly. Because we all work in teams, it is important that we have a bit of flexibility in us as well, because there is a bit of give and take. We need to look after each other. And it is about finding that balance for you about how much of a boundary you want to put up. and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Tara Humphrey. I run an award-winning healthcare consultancy specialising in supporting primary care networks. I'm a facilitator. I am a mum of three. I have an MBA and I would class myself as a bit of an adventurer. And I absolutely love all things business, all things leadership, all things management. So I created this podcast for clinical and non-clinical colleagues working in the field of health and care, and for those of you looking to develop your leadership skills. Every week we release an episode which focuses on the hard and soft skills required to lead in this increasingly complex environment as we move to delivering more integrated care. So let's jump into this week's episode. Hey, Mark, thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, my pleasure. My pleasure. So like many of our, my guests, I stalk them on Instagram. And I just I can see the work that you're doing, this, the work that you're associated with, with UAK Doc. And I just for ages, I was like, I'd love to have a chat with you. So could you share with our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Right. So I'm a GP trainee in my final year in the southwest of England. And for Two or three years now, I've been involved in a charity called UK Doc, which um, was set up to help with the mental health and well-being of doctors. Um, one of my best friends founded the charity with a psychotherapist called Chris Cherry. And it, like many of these charities that offer doctors mental health, it was sort of founded a bit out of tragedy. Um, so the founder, his cousin, who is a, an anaesthetist, uh, sadly uh, took her own life. And um, that's sort of forward the fact that there was a big gap for mental health for doctors and it's something that um, I'm sure every doctor listening will recognize that throughout medical school and throughout their career there's it's not really talked about very much or it hasn't been but now now thankfully more and more people are starting to talk about it so um, I've become involved from there and it's grown over the last two years and uh, recently I became a trustee because I like to be involved with how things develop and grow and I was sort of um, being as involved as I could anyway so yeah that's that's me <laughs> okay we'll come back to your role as a trustee why did you choose general practice um that was not an easy decision and um I think one of the best things about medicine and medical training is you can change your mind and there's so many different options so I didn't always want to be a doctor um didn't know what I wanted to do uh, I loved uh service uh, industry and I love care and I love communicating with people and I love science um so originally I did a degree in biomedical sciences like a lot of doctors uh couldn't see myself in a lab um and then applied to medical school was lucky enough to get in and throughout medical school I wanted to be a surgeon which is completely different to what I do because <laughs> I like practical hands-on things but I just like communicating so much I like seeing patients sitting down with them and working through the whole picture and that's quite hard to do 
when you're in a hospital where you've got to be really very single problem focused um you get to do a little bit more as a gp sometimes in the community but i didn't go straight into gp i did two years of medical training in ireland um uh, and was going towards becoming a medical registrar in a hospital and then i realized actually i couldn't see any one specialty that i could sort of give up much more of my life towards and uh, i applied for gp training and um was lucky enough to get it where i wanted to and um yeah, I don't regret it. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Are you? I know you're still early on. Are you thinking about being a partner or is it just, are you happy to be salaried? I think I will go the partner route um, okay. in the long run because I like to be involved with how processes work and how they develop. And I like to have a voice in anything I work or become part of. And I think being a partner is really the main way you get to contribute and shape how a business which is what a GP practice and a GP partnership is grows and it's interesting yeah cool very cool very cool before you were a trustee you okay doc what what does it mean to be an ambassador what does it mean to be part of this is it an organization movement what would you, what do you call it um I guess it's a charity with a vision for normalizing mental health well talking about mental health within doctors and medical students and uh, being able to provide a service for them that um, gives a space to talk about or find out about mental health and how to address various different well-being issues. Uh, being an ambassador, I guess at the beginning, when it was and still is a small but growing charity, um, and at the beginning it was very much about helping contribute towards um, the social side of the social media, um, talking about it within our different trusts and where we work getting involved in projects. So started the podcast quite early on uh, during the pandemic. Um, and uh, that's sort of what I meant. And just, you know, helping to build a community. So there were four or five founding ambassadors at the beginning. And since then it's grown, I think there are over 30 ambassadors plus student ambassadors as well. And uh, the trustee board has changed as well. And yeah, it's really developed and it has become a community. We have um, a really great bunch of doctors and medical students that are like-minded and uh, want to see change. And a lot of us have had our own sort of mental health experiences. So, yeah. Is it only, is only for doctors? Uh, yeah. So there is um, a separate charity, which we've just started called UK Nurse. Okay. And uh, although it is aimed at doctors because it started off as that was the niche gap um, where we felt there was something missing and it has been missing from, um, from medical school upwards. And the way doctors are trained is a little bit archaic sometimes. It's a bit hierarchical, a bit old-fashioned and doesn't have a lot of space for breathing and for talking about mental health. And I think that's changing, but we wanted to help that develop that and that's where it's gone and where it's, where it's at at the moment. Um, and UK Nurse is for similar but for nurses and every healthcare professional is important you know but we all train and work in different ways and we all have different responsibilities and different pressures and um different ways that we need to talk and expand and become comfortable with our own mental health I think. So could, would you mind sharing your kind of your personal connection around your mental health and why you feel passionate about this? Yeah, so I've been fortunate. I've never, you know, 
felt that I've struggled too strongly with my mental health, but there were periods, especially during my first uh, year as a doctor and then in separate jobs since where I have, uh, you know, struggled with the workload, um, the pressures, constantly change teams, especially when you're a, a new doctor going in, you change every few months and you have to fit and adapt very quickly. And that can sometimes be hard to do, especially when you're juggling new responsibilities, um, often doing jobs or tasks you've never done in person or in real life before. And yeah, I remember my first job was a, as a vascular um, doctor or a junior vascular doctor as an F1. And uh, it was very pressurized, very big team, a lot of very big personalities from consultants, uh, quite hierarchical. And I, I struggled, um, or, you know, I occasionally cried in a, you know, cupboard, <laughs> uh, when, when things were very tough and found it very hard to sleep and didn't really look after my health very much during those first few months. And I didn't, I don't think something like clicked, like, this is how I'm going to get better and go on. But I started to adapt. I started to build my own resilience, started to build healthy boundaries in. And they weren't always perfect. I don't think anyone's ever is. I've had jobs since, uh, you know, I'm, I've been a doctor now seven years and, you know, even last year um, during the pandemic, there was a particular job that I really struggled with. And there were times where I thought about leaving medicine, but that is one of the great things about medicine is that there's so many different options, so many different teams that if things aren't quite right for you and you love the job and enjoy the job and want to work with patients you can work your way through it obviously there are points where if you need help you do need to seek the support I'm quite lucky I've got lots of friends and family around that are very supportive a lot of us have been through similar things you know similar jobs sort of affect us in similar ways and I have quite robust coping mechanisms I think that I've developed as well a topic that comes up on the podcast all of the time is like I say yes all of the time, I should say no. And even like with really senior leaders, they're like, oh no, I always say yes. Like how, in my mind, when I think healthy boundaries, I think that means you've got to say no sometimes. Do you say no? Are you quite good at saying I'm not available for that? And then no apology. Thank you for asking. <laughs> I'm No, I'm not good at it. I've got better at it. I think healthy boundaries can sometimes go too far you can build up walls too tightly because we all work in teams it is important that we have a a bit of flexibility in us as well because there is a bit of give and take we need to look after each other and it is about finding that balance for you about how much of a boundary you want to put up and for everyone it's going to be different you're not always going to get it right sometimes you're going to say yes to too much sometimes you're going to say no to too much and every now and again it's probably worth reflecting on your workload your colleagues workload how you're coping how they're coping and if you have some space and that and your colleagues are struggling then if you feel you can help then I think it's a good thing to help and support them but equally if you think no my cup is full or over full you need to be able to say at that point no look I need to look after myself first as well because you're not going to help anyone if you overburden yourself you know jumping after someone who can't swim and you can't swim uh, you're both going to think. So yeah, difficult. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds easier said than done. Much easier said than done. And it, I think it changes, it changes when you move through different teams as well, because different teams will, I think, have a different capacity for how much they expect of you and how much you expect of them. 
And because so far through my career, I've never been in a team for longer than six months, usually three or four months. Um, so this will this year will be the longest time in one one job. And I think you sometimes have to listen to your colleagues' feedback uh, a little bit. You know, do they do do, you, do, you, do they think you're part feel part of the team? I think if you don't feel part of the team or they don't feel that you're part of a team, sometimes part of that is that the give and take isn't in the right balance, if that makes sense. I think it does make sense, but it's so it's so in the I mean, I don't know if you can share in your instance, is it that your team think you're not giving enough or do you think they're not giving enough? Because <laughs> I think the other I think whoever you ask, it will always be, well, they're not giving <laughs> they're they're not giving enough. It, it it does require, I guess, everyone to be a bit reflective and have a bit of insight into what's going on around them and try to put yourself in the other person's shoes a bit because um, it's very, I guess, it's very easy to think that you're doing more work than someone else or, you know, if you're the one that's always leaving late or whatever, but then the other person, the other team might feel that oh, Gay's leaving late or she's leaving late, but they haven't you know they never asked if I'm okay or if I need a bit of help or whatever so I think boundaries are really important at the beginning I was pretty poor at them because I'd always try and stay on and always do extra stuff and it got to the point where I didn't really have much free time or I'd consistently been getting back late or I'd actually go back into work and that wasn't healthy then I went a bit too far the other way (laughs) and kind of didn't like I do my job that's and say like that that's my job I've done it I've looked after my patients I need to go and now I'm trying to find the balance in between and it, yet like you say it's not it's not easy and probably don't always get it right I probably get it wrong more often than not but I think it's something to bear in mind when you're thinking about putting up your boundaries it's just how firm and flexible you want them to be they should I don't think there should ever be a yes or no I think it should be a well let's see what you know what the situation is I'm just no, I'm just thinking. I, I do, yeah, sometimes I think when I put up a boundary, then it's like, oh, do they think I'm a bitch? Oh, no, should I say, oh, no, actually, I've said no to one thing and then I've oh, massively overcompensated, I did it today, massively overcompensated and gone, no, but I'll do X, Y and Z. I should have just said yes to the other thing, which would have been a lot less time consuming. It's really, really hard. But then there are, it depends. There are some things. I did say no to somebody this week and I thought, and I actually felt really good about it. I just thought, no, it's a no. You're not for me. I'm not for you. I think you. I think you. You generally do know when you. You know, if you said you're no or yes, if how you feel about it afterwards. I think if you feel okay about it, then you probably made the right decision for you. Yeah. Um, it's easy to feel guilty. <laughs> yeah, I think that's something. I mean, I'm yet to meet somebody that's got it cracked. But we can all give each other advice. <laughs> but then when it comes to us, we're like... And it's going to be different depending on um, your own experience and, you know, your the situation and environment you're in. I think it changes. I think that's one of the reasons why people's boundaries change as they go through their life is because their situations change and their capacity to deal with those different things change. Yeah. yeah. I did try to have a, you know, like in business books, they're like, it's, if it's, e- it's either a hell yes or it's a no. But sometimes it's like maybe yeah like it's a maybe it's not always an absolute yes and actually some of the opportunities I've been quite reluctant to say yes and I've said yes and have been amazing and I think I can't believe I agonized over it and some things I've said yes to have turned into an absolute nightmare but I didn't know 
So sometimes you just don't know. Yeah, hindsight is an amazing thing. Yeah, definitely. I have not learned this lesson either. So when you say you've developed quite robust resilience mechanisms, what what does that look like? Uh, So for me, it's about uh, learning to triage and prioritize tasks inside my head so that and to keep a good sort of organizational list. If there's a set of problems I have to deal with, I'll have those set of problems somewhere that isn't just in my head so that they're not, my subconscious isn't trying to constantly remind me that they're there. I know that I've got them on a system. So for for me and GP, that's, uh, and if it's patient related, it's using tasks or scheduled tasks. I know that they're there. I know that they're not going to go anywhere unless I do something about them and they don't have to come home with me because I don't need to be reminded that that I, I might have forgotten something or something like that, because that can be quite hard especially in GP where you have such a high patient turnover and such a high patient workload and you're constantly generating new jobs for yourself and new jobs are constantly coming in is managing those those tasks and it's I think it's easy especially if you're new to it to keep them in your head a bit too much and then they can play on your mind and they can wake you up I know that the jobs I've least enjoyed and at the very beginning I used to struggle with uh, sleep because I would wake up frequently because I'd be worrying about patient X or patient Y or had I done this or had I done that. That doesn't happen to me anymore because I, I'm more experienced and I know in my head that I've dealt with it or it's somewhere that can be dealt with tomorrow and that's okay. <laughs> so it is a pleasure to be bringing the Business of Healthcare podcast in partnership with DKMS UK. DKMS are a blood cancer charity on a mission to find a blood stem cell match for everyone who needs it. I am proud to share that I am an ambassador for DKMS UK and my particular interest in partnering with them is that as it stands, fewer than 3% of patients from a black or mixed ethnic background are on the stem cell blood registry. We need more people to sign up to the registry and more people to spread the message. So I hope you will join me in doing so. To sign up to the registry, please visit www.dkms.org.uk to get involved. Do you feel like you have enough admin time after each patient to make sure you get all your tasks done, you know, that you do everything that you need to do? Is that all wrapped up in your 10 minute appointment? No, (laughs) no, (laughs) definitely not. But I am very good at, well, I've got better at scheduling and tasking appropriately so that I'm not tasking myself about every little thing. Um, Because again, the other way your task list can grow too much and then you've Mm -hmm. got a lot to look at every day. But I know that what I have put for myself to remind myself is appropriate. I don't need to second guess it and I don't need to go back through the patients because I'm worried I might have missed something. And that's hard to do is to not go back for your patients, especially at the beginning when you're a trainee or when your workload's a bit lighter because you're worried you might have missed something. You kind of have to get to a point at some point where you trust yourself and you trust the systems that you're using a little bit. Otherwise, it become impossible. <laughs> so you task yourself, your good organisation and admin. What else do you do? So I, I do make sure I have time for myself at my last practice, I used to go, I used to, used to be in the countryside and it was great. I used to go for a walk either before my list started or um, at lunchtime, I'd go for a walk 
um, for 20 minutes, just out there to get some fresh air, have a bit of a mental break. And in my current practice, I, I, it's a bit harder. Um, it's a bit busier. Um, but I try and have like 10, 15 minutes where I read something I enjoy reading or, you know, I switch off some other way mentally. So I'm not constantly having to make decisions throughout the entire day because I think you can get a bit decision, decision fatigue. And by having a mental break throughout the day, whether that's through reading something or listening to some music halfway through the day, then, you know, I, I, my cup can be replenished and I can, you know, have a bit more headspace. And I keep my gym kit in my bag. <laughs> So you're quite fit. What did you do not too long ago? It was like this 24 hour. Yeah, that was for UK Doc. So we we raised 17 and a half thousand uh, in a week for for the charity. And uh, we there are three of us and we did a 24 hour fitness event in London. So two of us did weights for 24 hours and one of us was on the peloton for 24 hours. I must admit, when I saw you doing weights, I thought, that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the light that was a trick and then as I, as I was going through I did think bloody hell like yeah I couldn't yeah I couldn't so you're more of a what do you do you're more gym do you run I, I do a bit of both um so I always like to think that it's important to be active and find something you enjoy um, I'm lucky because I enjoy being in the gym and I enjoy running I used to enjoy like martial arts and those sorts of things as well, but it's quite hard to consistently go to a team or a group sport because my schedule is not, not great, but I know that I can run when I want and it's on my terms and I know I'm going to a gym when I want it's my terms, which is why I always have my gym kit in my bag. So if I've had a really tough always. Yeah. When I go to work. That's like your routine. Like (laughs) I don't, I don't go, um, I don't go every day. It's, it's in my bag so that if I've had a tough day and I don't think, you know, I can get some of the things off my head and it's, I don't feel like I've got the energy to go for a run. I'll always be able to go to a gym for 20 minutes, listen to some music, get my heart going and clear my head that way. Um, so for me, my mindfulness is in movement. I clear my head when I do something physical or active and it's not going to be the same for everyone. I think it's about finding something that you enjoy. There's no point forcing yourself to you know do weights or run or do tennis or anything that you're not going to enjoy because you have to get something out of it but there probably will be something physical that you do enjoy it's about finding it I just reminded you just reminded me because we both like art with flow yes I love that (laughs) (laughs) I'm so surprised I would say I I find it really hard to sit still yeah but when I, st- so for those people that don't know what art with flow, well, I suppose if anyone um, has got an iPad or a tablet, it's just digital art, just digital drawing. But she's got her YouTube channel and she t- takes you through it like step by step. And she's also on um, Patreon. Patreon, yeah. But yeah, I'm always really surprised. And all my kids are always like, you drew that? Like I've got quite an impressive portfolio. <laughs> yeah, you, you, I've seen your work on uh, Instagram. It's really good. But even when I feel like I'm copying her, exactly it still doesn't look like an owl <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the process but no yeah. your stuff looks really good I uh, yeah I rediscovered drawing in uh in the lockdown basically during uh when I had covid and I couldn't leave the house 10 days um I uh I just downloaded the app and um started drawing again and it's very um it's very uh calming following a process yeah. 
It is. I think it just reminds me. And I think for the people that are listening, I think I'd like to think how podcasts, they're not like when you tune in, it's not like my top tips to do, you know, like my three steps to do X, Y and Z. But I think lots of people, I'd like to think, will be able to take something from this episode in the fact that we all do have busy, no matter what your family set up. If you work in healthcare, you are likely there'll be too much to do and not enough time to do it. I think we all have that in common, but there is there are things that you can do, but I know so many people that will think, I don't have time to exercise. I don't have time to do a drawing or would even think they'd want to do a drawing. I would, if someone said to me, Tara, do you want to sit down and like do some drawing? I'd think no, or do a crossword. But it, it doesn't really matter what it is, as long as it's probably not work related even if you really do like your work, you don't have to do it all of the time. You have to kind of say no to your work and just, how do you switch off? Is it easy to switch off? It does depend on my day. And usually, yes, I didn't used to be very good at switching off, which is probably why I used to have problems sleeping, but I'm much better at it now. And it's now very rarely. And it's usually only if I've had uh, a case or something that didn't go how I quite expected it or difficult decisions to make but yeah usually I usually I switch off quite easily now and that that is why I keep the gym uh, the gym kit with me is because I know that if I'm going to struggle to switch off and not sleep and that's going to have a knock-on to the next day it's better that you know I'm not I'm not gonna be able to do anything else with my evening unless I release it in some way and that release for me is the physical one so it's going to the gym I may start doing that I'm an early bird though I want to get up and get it done I can't if I I don't think I could after like 10 o'clock yeah it's not going to happen so in in, some people think oh Tara how are you so motivated but I think I'm the most least motivated because if I don't wake up and go I'll think no oh no it's a bit late oh I can't bother I just won't do it that's um that's as well like keeping the kit in the bag means that I got less excuses and less decision less decision barriers to going as in I don't have to think about going home and finding my kit I don't have to think oh I'm going to go home and I'm going to sit down and then I'll feel tired too tired it's there and it's the same when um so I I I used to go running a lot in the morning before work and the only way I'd manage to because I'm not a morning person is um by having my shoot everything laid out the night before so that or I had to just get up when the alarm, I don't have to think at all. I was like, the kit's there, I just need to go. <laughs> yeah. No, I would say that. Yeah, I'm not. I could, yeah, I could go for a run. It's a good way to, I've not really thought about it actually, but I think when I get in, even though I don't wear like work clothes, as soon as I get in, I'll change my clothes because then that's like, now I'm at home. It's, it's another way of like. Yeah, it's like a full stop. It's like when I come in, I get changed. And then I'm like, okay. And I was saying to my husband the other day, you know, when you've had a really good day, for me, when I've had a good day at work, it's easy to switch off. I still may have a really long to do. A good day doesn't mean I cleared everything, I ticked everything off. It just means I had fun and it was good and I've some sort of way that I was productive. On the bad days at work, those days are really hard to switch off. And yeah, I will you know talk about it with the dog with my husband with the kids I find it really hard and trying to rectify it's not even a and it's never a when I you know the next day you slept on it and you're like why did I make such a big deal when it really wasn't a bad day but those days are really hard to switch off so is your exercise whether it's a good day or a bad day that's your remedy 
that, that's my remedy yeah and um okay. you also uh, when you mentioned sleep it's amazing what sleep does if you've been upset or felt emotional or had a tough day if you've had a sleep or a nap it always seems better afterwards yeah and there's, I think there's just something about your mind processing stuff subconsciously when you're sleeping because it's an active process um, that lets you work through things so knowing that you're going to feel better the next day because you've felt better the next day before when you've had a bad day um, can sometimes be a nice thought as well Given your own personal preferences, are you into lifestyle medicine for your patients? Yeah, yeah, I am. I think some of my favourite patient interactions are around um, sort of mental health and well-being, finding you know things that work with with traditional medicine and and medicines, or things that can be used as an adjunct, or sometimes things that can be used to try before trying a sort of a tablet or medicine. And it depends on the patient and how engaged and how much they want to invest in their health in some ways. But some of the most rewarding consultations are with patients that um, uh, a lot of it is, it's it's simple advice, but we're really bad at doing simple things. And uh, I think because simple things, they don't have an instant reward. They don't have an instant fix. It takes time and it takes effort. Um, and it's only normally by looking back that you see all those little steps you did and kept doing had a benefit. So yeah, I, I try and um, involve as much lifestyle medicine as I can and as, as much well-being and as, as much like addressing mental health as possible. Cause it's, I think it's very, very rare that a physical condition hasn't had a mental knock-on or a mental health condition hasn't had a physical knock-on. I think they're all, you know, they're all interrelated and, it's very rare that someone comes to you with a chronic physical dish condition and it hasn't had a knock-on on their well-being and their mental health and same with their mental health and well-being on their physical conditions. I don't think they can be addressed in isolation, not very well. You can put a bandage on it, you can uh, patch up, but you'll see them again for something else. I'm smiling because I went to see, I've got like a sports injury and I went to like a hospital, went to a consultant and he said to me, he was talking to me and then he said, thing is because I do endurance stuff he was like well the thing is with endurance athletes they're never quite honest they never quite give you the full story and I was a bit like oh. and then he was like are you being honest and I thought oh no and then he was like are you giving yourself what you need and I thought no and then I thought I've just paid 200 quid you've essentially you know like <laughs> for that and I knew exactly, he was a bit like, are you drinking enough? Are you eating enough? Are you sleeping enough? And I just thought, oh, just, I mean, he's, he was an MSK practitioner, but I did think he'd just give me a bill. <laughs> I could just, and he was just like, are you giving your body what you need? And I just thought, I should know better. And I still don't. Do you know what I mean? You're looking for the answers. I was a bit like, least can I have a scan? He was like, you can have a scan. <laughs> so please I'm insured (laughs) but it was yeah I was quite impressed actually because I wasn't expecting that and then I think through the conversations I have with people like yourself like all my loads of my friends are doctors I'm like into lifestyle medicine but it's really hard to take that advice and it's really you make excuse you know like you lie to yourself you make excuses and I'm always a bit like I don't want to rest yeah we all do make excuses and we all Mm. especially if you are probably a a healthy person sometimes there can be a 
a bit of a mismatch. So you're very healthy in one aspect of your life um, and you don't realize that you're doing something else that's not so healthy. One of the common ones for doctors is probably drinking alcohol. And you know, I see you regularly on your Instagram stories, enjoying a nice pint. I, I do enjoy a red. <laughs> well, red yeah. wine is that's healthy, isn't it? One glass a day. If you live in France, I tell myself that. <laughs> tell us about what does it mean to be a trustee? So you have got responsibilities now. Yeah. Within the charity, you become a trustee either by putting, you have to want to be part of the charity, want to be part of the decisions by the and you either have to have a, an area of responsibility within the charity or financially contribute to a charity. So for me, it's uh, contributing. And it means that the direction of the charity gets discussed. You know, if we're going to start something new or, or reflect on how things are going, when there's changes to the charity or when there's financial decisions or when there's decisions about uh, groups you want to be affiliated with, or um, guests we want to come on on things like podcasts and things like that just to make sure that you know the vision is still there and we're doing the right thing for the charity and that it's a you know it's a group decision Um, so it's for me I do a lot of the podcast stuff and I recently did the interviews for the new ambassadors and things like that and um, and then going forward we're we've assigned ourselves different work streams. So some of us will be involved in future events or the social side or um, marketing or, or doing some of the talks and, and presenting. So we all delegate to the ambassadors um, because it's a great opportunity, you know, to do something, to, uh, to run a project, have a leadership role. As trustees, we kind of have a more of an overall say of which direction it's going, making sure we're not going off topic or off track which can be easy to do, yeah. I think. Okay. So you mentioned your podcast. What makes a good podcast interview? <laughs> That's a very good question. <laughs> um, I guess it has to be, there has to be a chemistry with the people involved on the podcast. We've had podcasts before that they don't all go well. Um, sometimes it's a You bit still air them? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. okay. We, we, <laughs> no. At the beginning, we, because at the beginning it was... Um, They've, we've had four seasons. Each season's been completely different. At the beginning, it was very much conversational between the psychotherapist, uh, Chris, who founded it, who was the co-founder, Daniel Gearan, who was founder, and then uh, one of the ambassadors, often me. And we talk about different themes with mental health and doctors. And they're probably of variable quality. I think we always tried to have a good message and a positive message. And then we started becoming a bit better known and having guests on. You've had some big, and- really big guests. Yeah, yeah, we've been really lucky. Yeah. Um, well, I would say very lucky. Uh, a lot of like our, um, you know, various people within the charity worked really hard to bring guests on. And I think uh, a lot of people believe in the vision and, you know, it is all for a good cause. And the good thing about podcasts is it's another way of putting your voice out there as well in your narrative. And and it's a good opportunity for guests because um, they get to contribute to something that they believe in as well they wouldn't come on to it, i don't think if they didn't believe in the message that the charity was putting out and that they wanted to put out as well yeah and some of you you know enjoyed it i very much enjoyed it don't enjoy editing <laughs> i don't edit the podcast <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh, God. i don't uh, think it would go out 
that's probably why mine are sometimes but ours are sometimes a bit slow but um yeah i, I edit them but um yeah don't enjoy yeah. that bit. so good chemistry and if there's not good chemistry so if anyone's listening and you've like lost the track then that means it wasn't you know like it's gone in the bin yeah it's 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 probably <laughs> gone in the bin or sometimes um because we are talking about mental health sometimes the stories can be a bit uh, you know bring out some vulnerabilities and things that aren't okay. always appropriate to send out so we try and always be authentic and make sure that whoever's whoever the guest is is comfortable you know of what they've said as well and um yeah because we've had a mix of experts and people talking about the stories and and sometimes when people talk about stories you can become a bit vulnerable around these things yeah i can see that so I wanted to ask you, you mentioned when you're training, and I think the nature of general practice, depending on the culture of your practice, it is very hierarchical. Yeah. How do you break that? Well, I guess because I was a bit older coming into medicine. I've, I work, I, I've always worked, I've worked since the age of 13 in kitchens um, and pubs. So I was used to working in an adult environment from a young age. And then I spent a year in between my degrees uh working as a healthcare assistant in hospital and working as a chef and i've worked in lots of different teams and i've been the youngest and been the most junior in lots of them but then worked on the same level and always found that it's much more fun and it goes much better when you do break down so i think it's just addressing the person more senior to you as another human being you know i think res- respect works both ways and you need to I think for your patients, you need to be able to have a, a a strong voice. If you feel that your voice isn't being heard, you should be able to express that to your seniors and your colleagues. And I think that I've just always been comfortable speaking out and saying what I feel or what I worry about something. Because what's the worst going to happen if I say something and um, one of my colleagues doesn't like it? I would rather have said something then not have said it and something to go wrong or to be worried about that I hadn't put forward something that I was concerned about. It's interesting you say that because you're the doctor. Yeah, yeah. So you can say, you can sit there and say, well, what's the worst going to happen? Because you're a doctor. Whereas other people that are not a doctor may speak out. And what's the worst that can happen? They may feel isolated or felt made to feel like, they shouldn't have spoken out or career opportunities may be not as available. But there is a, and I'm speaking as somebody that works in practices, the higher, even with, you know, I know some people where I'm like, hi, Julie, and they'll be like, that's Dr. Sharp to you, you know, like call me doctor. And I'm like, "Mm, I don't want to do that. Um, but I don't think that person or people that the title is important and that you've earned it and you're qualified and people want to be recognized by their title but I, I think it's undeniable that the doctor is at the top and general practice is changing to protect the doctor and give the doctor more time and you've got all these additional roles but the buck will always stop when if you're the partner if you're not the doctor the partner the partner makes a decision the doctors make the decision so it's really can one person change the culture you may feel like that but you're in an institution that the doctor's at the top yeah 
And I guess when I'm talking about that, I guess I'm talking it, about it from within the doctor's hierarchy. So I guess when you're a junior doctor, you know, you're an F1, then F2, then SHO, then more senior SHO, then registrar, then more senior registrar, then consultant. And even in consultants, they have junior and senior consultants. So even within doctors, there's a hierarchy and an expectation. And you're right, it can, I think people do worry about speaking out because it might affect their careers or they might not get the report they need or or they might say something to one of their colleagues and it might affect a job in the future. But I guess I maybe that's one of the reasons why I went to general practice rather than stay in the hospital because I don't like jumping through hoops just because it fits in with the system. And I think, you know, we're all here for... And I, I appreciate that's probably, now you've said that, easy for me to say as a doctor, but we're all here for our patients at the end of the day. And I think if they're, I think hierarchies are changing. Some of the best teams I've worked in have, one of the best teams I've worked in was a pediatric team. And it was almost a, like everyone spoke, every level of doctor spoke to each other on the same level and everyone's concerns was taken in. And the nursing team, it was the same as well. The nursing team and the AMPs, there were, you know, we'd talk to each other on that there wasn't really a hierarchy. Yes, a decision or something would come from someone more senior. But if there was a concern or something, it no one kept it in because they were worried about ruffling the more senior one's feathers, if that makes sense. But yeah, I do appreciate, I guess as a doctor, we you know, we have that privilege. So if people want to find out more about UAK Doc, where is the best place? Where do you guys hang out? So Instagram, uh, UK doc, and uh, we've got a website as well, but mostly on Instagram, we've got LinkedIn and Twitter, and it's all at UK doc. Um, so we can be found at any one of those. And what do you guys do? So if I'm a doctor, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, I feel like I'm going through a bit of a difficult time. What, uh, what do you guys offer? So we have a huddle service, which is kind of a small group, small group. A therapy service that's led by psychotherapists where doctors can meet in small confidential groups and talk about their emotions and their feelings um, and issues that are going on and it's great because it is led by psychotherapists and it is a safe space um, and it's also great because you're talking to other people that have probably gone through similar things as well so it's shared experience in, in a safe space that's directed by someone who know, knows how to manage it and how, and how to deal with it we have the podcast where we're trying to talk about different themes and normalize it and make people more aware. And we produce different content on social media as well with tips and advice. And we've got a directory with a shout service. So at the moment, those are the, the main things that we do, the huddle, the podcast, and the content we produce with uh, things going forwards that will be expanding and changing, but I'm not allowed to talk about that yet. <laughs> okay, cool. We'll watch this space. Thank you so much, Mark. No, thank you very much for having me on. It's really, yeah, good fun. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you hear, I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five-star review.
I know many of you give us a shout out on social media, which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast. So please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram at THC Primary Care and on LinkedIn, just look for Tara Humphrey. And if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, please do. It's really, really funny. You get to hear more insights, more confessions, some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode. Thank <laughs> you.